So I thought I would start with this little bit of a humorous poem that I just happened to come across. So I hope that you enjoy it as much as I kind of did actually. And it has a little bit of a rhyme thing going on here. So church is not vital, nor meetings held there. If you skip or go late, it's no one's affair. If the weather is bad, either hot or snowing, just stay home and rest, for there'll be others going. But should you attend, be sure and remember, find fault with the work, each official and member. Be sure to hold back on your offerings and tithes. The bills will be paid by the rest of the guys. And never take office if offered the post, but eagerly criticize the work of the host. When asked your opinion on this thing or that, have nothing to say, just turn them down flat. Then after the meeting, shine out like the sun by telling the folks how it should have been done. Don't do any more than you possibly can. Leave all the work for the other nice man. And when you see faithful ones work themselves sick, then stand up and holler, it's run by a click. This humorous poem makes us all chuckle a little bit, and I had to read it through a few times, and it just kind of struck me funny each time I read it. But really, truth be told, there are probably times when we can each relate to portions of this poem, and perhaps eh, maybe we wouldn't like to admit to that as much as maybe it can tend to happen. As we begin our lesson today, I would like to take some time to ask some questions basically to help us think about our own hearts and our own lives and, and where we stand in our love for the church. So these are in no particular order, just questions that I was thinking about. So how important is the church body to you? So we're speaking here of the people, not the place, and not even the ministries. So as I'm talking tonight about the church, I am talking about the body of believers that makes up, and we are talking about our own specific, specific, specific local body here at Grace Community Church. <clears throat> so how important is the church body to you? Are you eager to serve others in the body? Is the Sunday morning worship service a highlight in your work, in your week? Do you make special effort to minister and encourage others in the body during the week? Or do you complain about or criticize others in the body? Are you quick to find fault with the leadership? How willing are you to sacrifice your time, energy, and resources for the healthy spiritual growth of others? Where does the church body fit into your schedule of priorities? How willing are you to spend and be expended for the souls of others in the church? To what degree are you willing to labor in the body so that Christ is formed in each person? So with all those things in mind, really evaluating how much do you love the body of Christ? Your children will learn from your example how they should value and prioritize the church. What you emphasize in your home will become what is normal to your children. If you spend the majority of your time prioritizing outside activities, such as sports, school events, or traveling, your children will learn to value those things, and those pursuits will become the normal way to live. Conversely, if you spend your time and money serving others in the church, meeting pressing needs, helping in your children's Sunday school classes, they will view prioritizing the church as the normal way to live. So in addition to this, your children will pick up your attitude toward the church body. So if you hesitate to volunteer when you see a need, if you would rather let others serve than doing it yourself, if you often complain about others at church or criticize the leadership, your children will learn to mimic your attitude. However, if you are quick to help, eager to serve, and delight in loving others in the body, your children will likewise learn to do so as well. So you might wonder, why does this matter? Why is it so important to teach your children to love and prioritize the church body? 
So I'm going to go ahead and answer these questions and present to you the value and importance of the church. And actually something that's kind of interesting because I've showed you guys several books over like the course of the time that we've been having this Bible study, parenting books, great parenting books. And one thing that I found really interesting is at least the ones that I have, and maybe I missed something in some of them somewhere, but they do not talk specifically about the need to teach and train your children to love the church body. It's missing. And I know in my own experience, um, even being raised in a church planting mission organization, I missed the value of the church. And it wasn't until we moved here and began to see how the church functioned because the churches that we went to in California, um, they, they just didn't have a huge place a huge value on the church. So it was more like you went to church on Sunday, you might go to Awana on Wednesday night, you might have a Bible study that you go to. And I did all of those things, but then you have your other life. And so you have your other friends and maybe they're work friends, maybe they're neighbors, maybe they're family, but church was just something that you went and did. You didn't live and interact with these people. And when we started coming here and I started seeing how the church functioned and really more, it was the teaching of the word and the teaching of how are we to be functioning in the church body, it began to entirely change how I viewed life in the church. And my, so we are just like, I come from a long line of very independent people. And so we just will take care of things ourselves. We don't ask for help. And probably some of that might be pride. And some of it is just you don't even think about it because, well, I can do it myself. And so you don't learn to need other people and to depend on other people. You don't interact with other people because you're so independent. And of course, if you're from California, then you know that that's just the culture anyways. We're very independent and we can just do things ourselves. We're good at it. But it's not healthy and it's not right because God is bringing his people that he is redeeming together. And we together as this church body should be linking arms together to do life. And like Chris said years ago, that we need to be living in such close proximity to one another that we experience each other's sin. I did not like that comment. I don't like people seeing my sin because I'm very proud. I don't want you to know who I really am. But you need to know who I really am. You need to know that I, I am sinful so that I can ask your forgiveness when I sin against you so that you can practice forgiving me so that I can repent and confess my sin, so that I don't live in my sin for long periods of time. Because when I do that, what does it do? Sin destroys. And so God has uniquely designed the church for us to grow so that we would mature. And yes, that means we are going to sin. And sometimes it means that we will hurt one another in our sin. And sometimes it means that we have to forgive very painful, difficult things. But as we do that, Christ is being formed in us for the glory of God. This can't happen anywhere else on this earth. It happens here. And we need to understand how the church functions. You guys, you young moms, need to know this because you need to teach your children the value of the church so that they will love the church, so that they will pour out their lives when God saves their souls for the church, for one another. Because, as we'll look at in a few minutes, the church is the one thing in this world that is eternal. We here, if all of us are believers in this room, we will stand around the throne of God one day in worship to him. Does that not excite you? 
we get to start practicing loving one another now in future preparation of that. This is an exciting thing. But the problem is, is that we oftentimes don't understand the value of the church, so we don't pour our lives into it. We're fractured, and, and we go in all these other different directions, and we prioritize worldly things that are temporal, that are, that are going away, that are fleeting. And there's no eternal value in those things. But as I love you, and I serve you, and you love me, and you serve me, this is what we're going to be doing for all of eternity. Our kids need to know this. So passionate about this. Um, because I lived for so many years not understanding it. And, I, yeah, anyway, I just need to keep going here. But, um, so I will say, I've got a lot of scripture, and I actually left um, on the second page, I left just all the scripture because I wanted you to have that. On the front page, um, you can just fill in the scripture as we go because you didn't need to have all eight pages of my notes. But um, we are going to look at a lot of scripture. You can just drop down the references and, and look at them later if you want. But um, I am going to answer some of these questions. So um, a Roman numeral one on your outline why we should value the church. So what is the first reason that we should value the church? And A on your outline is, the church was purchased with the blood of Christ. Acts 20:28 20, says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And here's a quote. I think this is John MacArthur. Um, I didn't write down who it was, though, so I'm sorry. The blood of Christ refers not to the fluid in his body, but to the whole of his redemptive death. Scripture speaks of Christ's blood nearly three times as often as it mentions the cross and five times more often than it refers to the death of Christ. The word blood, therefore, is the chief term in the New Testament uses to refer to the atonement. Without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. If Christ had not literally shed his blood and sacrificed for believers' sins, they could not have been saved. This is one reason crucifixion was the means God ordained by which Christ should die. It was the most vivid, visible display of life being poured out as the price for sins. The shedding of his blood was the visible manifestation of his life being poured out in sacrifice. The scripture consistently uses the term shedding of blood as a metonym for atoning death. Our souls are eternal and require redemption by more than a temporal means. The chains of our sin are deeply spiritual and cannot be undone by earthly physical means. They are held captive by spiritual means and cannot be set free apart from a spiritual means, which is the shedding of Christ's blood on our behalf. Romans 8, 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So our first point there is that the church was purchased with the blood of Christ. And we don't have time. I'm going to kind of just highlight, skim over the surface of a lot of these things because we don't have time to go really deep. Although, um, to plug another book here, if you want a good book on the church, this is a great book. It's a very easy read. He's very conversational style. Um, Wayne Mack, I've talked about him many times before, but really helpful book. Actually, it is one of the books we have, um, The Gals Read for LBI. So, uh, sorry, I'll just say the title so it's on the recording. Life in the Father's House by Wayne Mack. <clears throat> so then, moving on because we just can't stay there. B, Christ's blood is imperishable. Only the blood of Christ was sufficient to pay for man's sin. The blood of animal sacrifices was temporal, but Christ's blood was eternal. So remember in the Old Testament, they were commanded to kill a, uh, an animal in order to sacrifice for their sins. Well, of course, we know that Christ was the final 
sacrifice for that. And his blood is the eternal sacrifice that makes it possible for any of us to have salvation. So 1 Peter 1, 18 says this, 18 and 19, says this, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. So Matthew Henry said this, neither silver nor gold nor any of the corruptible things of this world can redeem so much as even one soul. They are often snares, temptations, and hindrances to man's salvation, but they can by no means purchase it or procure it. They are corruptible and therefore cannot redeem an incorruptible and immortal soul because our souls are eternal. They require an eternal sacrifice. The blood of Jesus Christ is the only price of man's redemption. The redemption of man is real, not metaphorical. We are bought with a price, and the price is equal to the purchase, for it is the precious blood of Christ. It is the blood of an innocent person, a lamb without blemish and without spot, whom the Passover lamb represented, and an infinite person being the Son of God. Only an infinite God could pay the price for eternal souls. And Jesus was willing to come to earth and give his life on the cross, taking our sins upon himself for our salvation. That is what it cost for us to be able to sit here in this room, to be a part of Grace Community Church. That's what it cost. When Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, not my will, but your will be done. He had us in view. Does that not stir your heart? He was willing to do the most difficult thing in all of eternity so that you and I might know him as our Savior. The cost of the church is incredible. Therefore, Christ loved it enough that he laid down his himself for it. God the Father was willing to sacrifice his son for the church. Should we not likewise love it with all of our heart? The difficulty is, is when we look at our church, what do we see amongst each other? And I, I don't mean that this is always the way it is because we do love each other. But church can be hard. I had one pastor that said, you know, we're sheep. And when you're a shepherd, shepherds get poop on them. It's a little crass, but you get the picture, right? I mean, this is what we are. Sin is ugly. It's dirty. It's hard. It's offensive. It, it's painful. And so when we see those things amongst us, sometimes we're just like, nope, not doing it. Nope. And what happens when we start to pull away from the church? Have you ever noticed that? Something happens, something difficult, something challenging happens. You're like, you know, I just need a little bit of space right now. I think I'll just skip church this week. I'm not going to go to that Bible study this week. I just, I just need a little space. I'll go back next week. What happens next week? It's just a little bit harder than it was the week before to go again. We need one another, and we have to keep pressing in and pressing in all the time because otherwise we start to drift and our hearts grow colder and colder toward not only just each other, but toward the Lord as well. So the church is also mentioned in Revelation. So Revelation 5.9 says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Praise our God. The worship 
in heaven of Jesus Christ because he is the only one worthy. Why is he worthy? Because he spilled his blood that we might be redeemed. So how important is the church to you? Do you value it because of what it cost God in Christ to purchase it? Are you careless about it, neglectful of it, critical of it, rebellious toward it, resentful of it? And remember, when I'm saying it, I'm not talking about this building. And I'm not even talking about the specific ministries. I'm talking about one another. Christ was poured out for us. To what degree are you willing to be poured out for the church? So then, why should we love the church? So that's Roman numeral 2, capital A, says we love the church because Christ loves the church. So obviously we could add more things to all of these points. So I've just got a few things here. So I'm just going to go through those few things that I have. But we should love the church because Christ loves the church to the degree that he was willing to lay down his life, right? So Ephesians 5, 25 and 27 And this is um, where he starts talking. Paul is writing to husbands here, and he says, Husbands, love your wives. That's true. But what is the example of how they should love their wives? So we're just going to look at what that example is that he is telling husbands to love their wives. How are they supposed to do it? He says, Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. That was what Christ was willing to do. He died for us so that we could be holy and blameless, loved us enough to do that for us. We likewise need to follow Christ's example to love one another to the degree that we are willing to help one another be holy and blameless. That's why we kind of have to know each other and do life close enough together that we can see when there are things in each other's lives that aren't holy and blameless so that we can come alongside, not with the ax or the hammer, but to come alongside and say, let me help you so that you can be holy and blameless because that's why Jesus died for you. See, it's an entire attitude of love and care for one another that we need to have. Robert Saucy said this, the extent of Christ's love is seen in the price paid to acquire the bride. Among the ancients, there was a practice of the groom giving a Christ to the father or brother of the bride. Christ did not give the wealth of creation for the church, which he could have given without end, but he gave himself. Such love is beyond comprehension, surpassing all human knowledge, and yet it is the object of ultimate knowledge and the subject of all true experience of the bride. Christ poured out himself because he loved the church. That was the reason that he said, not my will, but your will be done. Because he loved the father so greatly that he was willing to do the will of the father. And he loved us so that he was willing to do what it cost. That should spur us to love him as well. B, We love the church because Christ is the head of the church. The church is not just a random group of people who go to Sunday worship at the same place. The church is made up of individuals who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ our Savior. It is Christ our Savior who is the head of the church. We love one another in the church body because we all love and serve the same head who is Christ. See, we are... The body, who is the head? Christ is the head, and as we love him, what does that cause us to do amongst each other? We ought to be loving one another because we all serve and love the same head who is Christ. 
Colossians 1, 18 through 20 says, He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in, in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through what? Through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. So, like I said, we're just kind of moving on. Lots of points here. Sorry, we can't stop on any one thing. C, we love the church because it demonstrates our love for God. 1 John 4, 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our, for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, do you know what the next line is? We also ought to love one another. So, we should love one another in the church body because of what God has done in sending his son and because what Christ has done in laying down his life. We should have a greater love for the church body than anything else in this world. This should be the thing that encourages us, that motivates us to pour our lives out for one another. D, loving one another in the church body produces unity. Colossians 3.14 says, Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So when we have Christ as the head and we are the body, as we love one another, guess what happens? That body works in unity together. Listening, obeying the head through the word. As we love one another, we have a unified church. It's a beautiful thing. And when the world outside looks at that, what do they see? They see something unique and different that exists nowhere else. If we don't love one another, if we don't pour out our lives for one another, we are a sad example to the world looking in. We can't afford to be that way. You have little children that do not know God yet. What kind of example are you setting for your children? Do they understand? Do they see your example, your love for the body, your love for Christ as you pour out your life? Do they see the unity in the body as we function as a whole? so that they realize they go to school, they go to their various sports, and what do they see? Selfishness, unkindness, meanness, all these things, sinfulness. But when they come into the church, they see the love of Christ being poured out generously to one another. See, it's not only just the outside world that looks in. It's those little beautiful, wonderful, heathen children that God has given us that desperately need Christ as their Savior. And you know what? Oh, one of the things that I have loved about the church, and I'm sure some of you, especially older moms, can agree with this, how many times we would like be teaching our kids stuff. We're saying it, we're saying it, we're saying it. We're like, they're not getting it. They're not getting it. They're not getting it. And they go to church, and guess who says it? Chris says it. And they're like, Mom, guess what Chris said tonight? We're like, I've been saying it for three years. But here's the thing. So this is, this is how I kind of reasoned it out in my own mind. I'm like, the reason they heard Chris is because I've been saying it for three years. It prepared the way for Chris to say it and them to listen. But it is true. And then the wonderful discipleship that goes on as we interact with one another, as, as our kids see our friendships, they see how friendship is supposed to function. 
so many blessings that our kids see as we love and understand the church. But so much of our culture and so much of our evangelical Christian culture in America does not know how the church is supposed to function. And we cannot be like that. We must know and act differently. So Roman numeral three, why we should submit to the elders of the church. All right, so now I'm, now I'm getting bossy here. And, you know, we don't like submitting necessarily, especially if we disagree with one of the elders on something. That can step on our toes. But I'm going to show you the reasons why this is so important. And this is part of healthy function of the church body. So first, uh, did I say A, God has appointed elders to oversee the church? So really one of the ways we encourage unity in the body is by obeying the elders. We have elders at Grace Community that truly love the body, that are godly men, that, that study the word of God so that they can shepherd us well. And sometimes we have various things that come up in our lives and we need to go get counsel. And you know what? When we go to get counsel, sometimes they don't tell us exactly what we want to hear because they tell us the truth of God's word. What a blessing. They are not afraid to speak the truth of God's word because what we need is to know the truth so that we can live by the truth so that we can forsake our sin. And so they speak truth into our lives. I can't tell you in counseling how many times um, I've been counseling somebody and it ends up turning into something where we end up having to go sit in with the elders and talk through things. And it is a grievous, grievous thing when that person refuses to listen to the counsel of the elders, when they open their Bible and say, here's what the word of God says. And people turn their back and they walk away. It is so devastating because they walk away and they continue in their sin. We need to be willing by faith to be obedient to the things that the elders call us to. And they do not call us to their own opinion. They call us to the word of God. They have no authority apart from the word of God because the word of God is the authority. And that is what they are teaching us. That is what they are calling us to. So, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 3. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted in your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Our elders are first to be examples to us in their own lives. So B, biblical elders demonstrate personal godliness. So kind of with that other thought already in our minds, looking at 1 Timothy 3, 2 through 6. And you guys have probably heard this a lot of times, but I'm going to read it to you anyways, because this is the qualification for an elder. Scripture has listed out qualifications, personal qualifications for elders. Because we can't have somebody leading the church that is controlled by their flesh 80% of the time. They need to be mature, to obey the word of God, to know the word of God, and live it as an example to us so that we can follow that. So here is, here is uh, the uh, biblical... Um, goodness, I'm drawing a blank on what I'm trying to say here. Um, the overseers, this is what they're supposed to be like in their personal lives. So uh, starting in verse 2, an overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred 
by the devil. So we are to submit to the elders, but God has in his word laid out qualifications for these men so that as we are submitting to them, we are submitting to men who adhere to the truths of God's word. So see, elders shepherd and protect the flock. So Acts 20, 28 says, be on guard. And I actually already read this earlier, but I'm going to read it again. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So be on guard there means to turn the mind to or tend to. It's in the sense of caring for or providing for. So the elders are to be on guard for themselves, but they are to be on guard for that for the flock as well, caring for, providing spiritual nutrients for the flock. And then it says they are to shepherd the church of God. So shepherd is in the sense, again, of caring for and providing for. So this is what the elders should be doing. And then D, elders will give an account as to how they shepherd the flock. So when we go to get counsel from the elders or when we hear them teaching Sunday school or when Chris is preaching, they, they are going to give an account for how they have shepherded this flock. That's a hefty responsibility and one that often isn't taken as seriously as it ought to be in many churches. They will give an account. Hebrews uh, 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable with you, for you. Why do you think that God put in his word, let them do this with joy and not grief? Because when we are sinful, guess what? They have to shepherd the flock with grief. We do not want to be that for them. We want to be an encouragement to them. We want to submit to them as they are obedient to the things that God has laid out in his word. And when the, the elders are functioning properly as elders and we are functioning properly as the body within, listening to their teaching, obeying the things that they're teaching us from the word, there is beautiful unity within the body because Christ is the head and we are all seeking to live according to the head who is Christ. These are all very important components of the church body and you need to know these things because when you go home and you complain to your husband in the earshot of your children of the thing that you didn't like that the elder said or that the Sunday school taught, or that somebody said in passing or whatever, when you go home and you criticize the authority, what are you teaching your children? Remember last week what we talked about. We talked a lot about authority. We want to be very, very careful that we are not damaging what God has put in place. Because as we read from many of those passages, who is the one that has set up the authority within the church or the the you get uh, these little words. You have to be so careful because elders don't have authority apart from the word of God. So, um, but God is the one that has set the elders up to shepherd the flock. So when we are rebellious to what they are calling us to do, who are we ultimately being rebellious toward? And what are you teaching your children about the church? What does it say about your own heart and the church? See, we don't often connect all these dots to realize how harmful it really can be. And it doesn't mean that you can't have differences of opinion. We can have differences of opinion, but go talk to them about it. If you misunderstood something or if they said something that didn't sound right, go talk to them, clear it up, clear the air, understand. And they will talk to you and help you understand. And if they have said something out of line, you've heard Chris get up before and say, yeah, so I said this, and maybe I should have said it more like this instead. That's humility, and that's a good thing. So we need to move on. 
Roman numeral four, why we should invest our lives in the church. And I need to probably speed up here. It is the pillar and support of the truth. So we don't have time to get into all that we talked about earlier on when we were talking about the truth and, and the fact that it's almost entirely eliminated from our culture now. But we want our children to understand it is in the church as the truth of God's word is proclaimed that there is truth. There is a place to find that truth. There is a place to live out that truth. And it is here together with us together, living side by side, interacting with one another, serving one another. So 1 Timothy 3.15 says this, and remember, 1 Timothy is a pastoral epistle. And basically, in this little verse, he is giving the reason for why, so it's the Apostle Paul that wrote it, he's giving the reason why he wrote this pastoral epistle. So he's saying right here, uh, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. So if you want to know how you should function in the church, you read 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus. Fantastic. If you want to know as a woman what your role is, what your place is in the church, read those books because that's why it's written. But what does he say there? He says, the pillar and support of the truth. So pillar is a column supporting the weight of a building. And this would have been something that the Ephesians would have understood because the temple of Artemis or Diana, as it can also be referred to, it was this huge, huge temple, and it had 127 pillars that supported the gigantic roof so heavy above it. And so when it said that these pillars are the, the, um, that they are the thing holding up the roof when it's referring to the truth as these pillars, the Ephesian Christians understood what was being referred to. And then it says the support of the truth, which is the foundation a bulwark or a stay. And a bulwark is a wall of earth or other material built for defense, a rampart. So this is what um, the church is supposed to be doing. It is supposed to be protecting the truth, promoting the truth. The church, this is from my Tyndale commentary, the church has in varying degrees been the custodian of spiritual truth and was in any case intended to be so the custodian of spiritual truth. That's what the church is. And we need to understand that and know that. John MacArthur says this, the truth is the divine revelation, including the truth of the gospel, the content of the Christian faith. It is the solemn responsibility of every church to solidly, immovably, unshakably uphold the truth of God's word. The, or excuse me, the church does not invent the truth and alters it only at the cost of judgment. It is to support and safeguard it. It is the sacred saving treasure given to sinners for their forgiveness and to believers for their sanctification and edification that they might live for the glory of God. The church has the stewardship of scripture, the duty to guard it as the most precious, precious possession, <laughs> precious possession on earth. Churches that tamper with, misrepresent, depreciate, relegate to secondary place or abandon biblical truth destroy their only reason for existing and experience impotence and judgment. It is very, very serious. The church is the pillar and support of the truth. So B, we have been given a spiritual gift for the building up of the body. So remember why we should be investing our lives in the church. So we have the spiritual gift that each one of us has been given. Romans, and I'm going to just read here uh, from Romans and Ephesians, and they're probably actually familiar to you, but we need to be reminded. Romans 12, 4 through 8. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many 
are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So perhaps some of you don't know what your spiritual gift is. And the best way to figure that out is to get in and start serving. So when our kids were goodness, really little. Well, even in nursery, I think I started in the nursery. So when Caitlin was a baby and maybe even when Sierra was two, I was head of the nursery for a couple of years and worked right there with the kids. Well, then my kids started moving up. So guess what? They start to talk. And so then they start to need to be taught. And so as we moved up into the toddlers, I taught Sunday school to the kids. And then as they moved up into elementary, I I just kind of followed my kids and continued to be involved in what they were doing and serving with, you know, where they were. And a lot of times that involved teaching the kids because I had a heart to teach the kids because I wanted my kids to understand. And one thing I learned, and this was from our basement down there. You guys all know my voice is like so pathetic. So down there in the basement with all these cement walls, I got to the point where I couldn't teach down there anymore because my voice could not be heard over the kids. I would go home so exhausted on a Sunday morning after teaching the kids because my voice wouldn't work. So it's way easier to talk up here when I have a nice little mic. But where is it that you can begin serving now? What do you have an interest in? Start serving there and see how the Lord leads you as you pour out your life for others. If you have kids, what are your kids involved in? Are they involved in kingdom kids? Are they in the nursery? Are they in other children's um, Sunday school classes and things like that? Small group, whatever it is. Find ways that are practical for you to begin to serve in the body because you have a gift that this body needs you to pour out for the overall godly function of this body. what Look around and, and see people that have various things going on and imagine if they weren't exercising those gifts. So when we started the, the women's ministry, well, I guess a couple years in when Rachel came on and started helping me with women's ministry, we worked together for a couple of years and we were like, yeah, we need somebody really organized. Um, And not that Rachel and I are terribly disorganized, but we didn't have time. And so the Lord blessed us with Sandy. And we are so thankful because she's the one. Guess if you have ever signed up on any of those uh, like ways to serve in the women's ministry, whether it to be bringing food or event sign up or anything like that, who's the one that contacts you? It's Sandy. If Sandy wasn't exercising her spiritual gift, for the benefit of this body, we would not be able to function the way we do. Each one of us has been given certain gifts that the Lord has given. I think of um, actually Margaret back there who is so hospitable. And when we first got to the church, her door literally was revolving. I'm sure it still is. I just haven't been there for a while. But but we, we would be coming to her house as people were leaving her house. And as we would leave, someone else would come. I was amazed by this, her hospitality. I'm not wired. I still love hospitality, but I'm not wired quite in that same way. And so what a blessing that the Lord has put us all together. Your kids need to see you exercising your gifts in the church for the proper function of this particular body. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. As we all practice and exercise our gifts, the body is built up, not in numbers, no, spiritually mature. That's what we're seeking to do. So see, the church is eternal. 
Romans 6, 22 and 23. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So as I already mentioned earlier, the church is eternal. So John MacArthur said this actually in a sermon that I listened to last week. He said, I love the church because Christ loved the church and he loved it enough to give his blood for it. And I don't like it when people, so this is his sermon, so this is why it's kind of conversational. So, and I don't like it when people speak against the church or diminish the church. It's the only institution Jesus ever built and the only one he ever promised to bless. And it's the winner. It's the winner. All other institutions and associations will end and the church triumphant will occupy the glories of eternal heaven and the price inestimable beyond belief. That's how precious the church is. So where are you investing the bulk of your time? Have you ever lived in a place where you knew you weren't going to be for very long, like kind of just passing through? It's very difficult to want to invest in the people because you know you won't be able to keep those relationships once you move. The same is true of this world. Are you investing in something that will last or in something that is only temporary and will soon be gone. Where are your affections? Where are you building your relationships? Where are you investing your time and your energy? Sports are not eternal. Community activities, your children's education, careers, traveling, entertainment, huh, even a perfectly clean house as much as we love it, manicured lawns, college scholarships, material gain. We could go on and on. None of those things have eternal value. And it's not that we can't involve ourselves in those things because sometimes they have a good place, but they can never be a priority over the church. And your kids need to understand that. And as you involve your kids in sports, there was a day when sports were not practiced on Sundays and on Wednesdays. And that is a thing of the past now. And you as parents are going to have to consider as we involve ourselves in certain sports, is it travel ball? Are you going to be gone weekends at, at like many weekends out of the year? Are you taking your kids away from the church so that they prioritize other things more than they prioritize the thing that God prioritizes? All these little things, if we don't think about them by accident even, we can influence our kids to love the wrong things. So what is your priority? What are you exemplifying for others? What advice do you give others as to where they should spend their time? How are you training your children? So D, we ought to follow the Apostle Paul's example. And... Well, I feel like in order to really help you grasp this, I need to read this whole thing. It's kind of long. So it's 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four through 29. And you've probably heard this many times, but I just want you to hear his description of the, the trials and difficulties that he went through for the sake of the churches that he was planting. So he says, Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep, in the ocean, he means. I have been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart, now listen, apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for what? Himself? All the churches. 
Here he's gone through all these things that he just explains. And he says, and on top of all of those things, the thing that I am most concerned about are the churches. He says, who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? Is this how we view the church here? All these things that he suffered, and yet his greatest concern was not for himself, not for the beatings and the whippings and the dangers, but the church or the people in the church sinning. That was his greatest concern. And then he said this just a few verses later, 2 Corinthians 12, 15. He says, I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Willing to be expended for your eternal soul. If it costs me my life, I'm okay with that so that you will not be sinning. And then he says in Galatians 4.19, My children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. He labored so that Christ would be formed in the believers in the churches. Do we labor in that way? Are we willing to be tired, to be exhausted for the purpose that others would know and walk with Christ more closely and forsake sin in their lives and be holy and blameless. Philippians 2.17, he says, But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. He was entirely poured out for the faith of the other believers. That should be our hearts. Paul loved the churches to that degree. When you feel weary, when you feel tired, and you feel like, I'm going to let somebody else do that. I just can't do that this time. I understand we have priorities. We can't do all things. So please don't hear what I'm not saying. But excel still more in the areas that you can. Pour in. Examine your heart. Do you love the church? So, five, Roman numeral five, our families should fit into the proper function of the church. And I'm just going to go over these really, really quick here. And actually, I think you have the verses. You have those verses underneath, right? Okay, so I'm not even going to read the verses because you have those. I'll just say the reference for the recording. So, our families should fit into the proper function of the church. What I mean by that is we don't do family and we don't do church. We do family in amongst one another in the church. <clears throat> so, uh, A, parental qualification for an elder. And actually, I do have to read this because you need to hear it. So 1 Timothy 3, 4, and 5, it says, But he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? The church, or I'm excusing, the family of an elder needs to, uh, what does it say? Uh, it needs to be managed well so that he can then be able to manage the church. If he doesn't know how to manage his own home, how's he going to manage the church? And B, mothers love your children. And I picked this one specifically because, you know what, sometimes that can be hard as our children can be rebellious and sinful, and we have to choose to love them. And so from Titus 2, remember the older women are to teach the younger women to love their children and to love their husbands. See, do not provoke your children to anger. So Ephesians 6, 4. Remember it says fathers, but that could be a broader word, meaning, meaning mothers as well. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And yes, we do that in our individual homes, but one of the best things we can do for our children is to bring them up in the instruction of the Lord in a healthy, God-fearing church that has a high view of God and a high view of Scripture. And y'all are doing that, and that's fantastic. So then uh, here, I think this is, the last one, right? So as we close out here, 
practical ways to invest your life in the church. And basically, I just wanted to give you some practical takeaway. Okay, so what does this look like, biblically speaking? And so I'm just going to go through these really quick. <clears throat> so, and I'm only focusing on the put-ons here because we could come up with a whole nother things that we shouldn't do, but instead we're just going to look at the things that we should do. So number one, or A, I guess, meet pressing needs. So Titus 3.14, our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. Look around, know people in the church, be in a small group, be in a Bible study or in a Bible study small group, know the needs of other people around you so that when people have needs, you are able to step in and help meet those if you're able to. B, and involve your children in these things. So this is the whole thing. Involve your children. If you're going to take dinner to someone, have your kids help. Have them carry one of the dishes to the door and give it to the people you're giving dinner to that night. Let your children experience the joy of serving other people. So B, practice the one another's. Romans 12, 10 through 13. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit. Because why? Because you are ultimately serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. So if you ever wonder what you should be doing, just go there. There's a whole list. It'll keep you busy for a long time. <laughs> So C, confront one another in love. So Galatians 6.1, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. You can teach your children to do this even when they're really little and teach them how to work out a difference they've had with another child. And you need to begin to teach it. Teach them, of course, with their siblings. That's probably the best place to start. But even with one another. And sometimes this means you may have to talk to each other. And that's like always the thing we hate, right? Well, I don't want to talk to her about her kids. And then a lot of times our attitude is, I don't want her talking to me about my kids. But in the church, we need to have a different attitude. Because if, if love is the dominant attitude in the church, then we are going to go to somebody in love when there's a concern with their child. And the mother that is receiving from the other mother is able in love to hear what she's saying because she knows the other woman has her best interest in mind. The problem is, is we get sinful. And so then that eliminates everything because we get upset about what happened when our children argued and acted the way children do because they're sinful. And we're offended when someone comes to us and we're chicken because we have the fear of man to go speak to somebody else. But that's not the proper function within the church. D, pray for one another. Ephesians 6, 18 and 19. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known the boldness and mystery of the gospel. So we should also be praying for one another. That's why we have prayer time in every Bible study. That's why there's prayer before Sunday morning. Prayer in small groups, all kinds of prayer because we need to be praying for one another. And teach your children when there are needs within the church, pray for it at dinner. Let your kids pray for them. But, but teach your children to pray for one another in the church. E, forgive one another. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. You need to be practicing forgiveness toward other people when they sin against you so that you therefore can be teaching your children to do the same, even in the little toddler room. Start teaching when they're young. They may not understand but start teaching them those things so that as they grow, it's a normal thing that is familiar to them. 
And of course, God has to redeem their hearts for true biblical forgiveness to take place, but we still practice those things. F, prioritize attending church or Sunday church services, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We cannot forsake meeting together. We need one another. And probably when we feel like we don't need one another is when we especially need one another. And the last one here, G, encourage one another. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts. What's the last part of it? To God. We don't just have some random thankfulness going on. Who are we thanking? We are thanking God. When you teach your children, teach them to thank God for the body as you interact together so that they understand the purpose and value of the church.